So much of what we face each day in our lives is what I would call artificial. By artificial, I mean it's not real. It's not the real thing. It's it's a copy or it's a replica. I mean, for example, if you look up the word artificial on, on Google, for example, here's just some of the things I found on Dr. Google. It's interesting. Uh, we have artificial intelligence <laughs> even today. It's amazing what they're doing with that. It's kind of scary if you think about how far they could go with that. But they'd even turned natural things like grass into something that's a copy or a replica. It's not the real thing. Like you'll see, uh, I know like in the NFL in the States, a lot of the professional teams play on artificial grass these days. Imagine rugby players playing on it. Uh, today we got... Christmas trees that are artificial. There's things that are replicas or copies of real things like sugar, for example. I mean, they, they, these are just a few examples of the things that are artificial. It's not real sugar. It's a it's a it's a copy. And even they're they're replicating body parts these days, things like uh, these eyeballs that can actually see things. By the way, they, I mean they—I don't know how they do this, but I was reading about it. They hook this—they hook these things up to your brain somehow, and uh, you, you can actually see images through fake eyes. They—they've made fake lungs, like you'll see in the picture here, that help people who have issues with their lungs, so they can—they can keep breathing. And they've even come up with fake skin. Artificial skin, believe it or not. So that's just some of the stuff I found on the internet of things it would when you search for things that are artificial. Well, that's what's going on in our world today. But increasingly, the, the, this is also true when it comes to religion. And in the church, there's a lot of things that are artificial. They're not the real thing. They're copies, replicas, meant to look and Sometimes kind of function like the real thing, but they're not the real thing. And of all the places where descriptive words like genuine and real should apply, there seems to be instead this increasing, there's, there's increasing phoniness and imitation. There's, there's frauds in the church. And it leaves this question that I can't help if Peter was asking, what or who is real anymore? What or who is real anymore? I think that question bothered Peter deeply. Because even in Peter's day, in the first century, the church was being infiltrated by a lot of phoniness, a lot of artificiality, these, these replicas and copies. And it was coming in the form of false teachers. They did everything they could to confuse Christians by selling them an imitation of the real thing. It wasn't the real thing, but it was phony. And it was creating a lot of havoc. And this is why this chapter is so important. And so Peter comes down really hard on these false teachers and their false teaching. And he gets into incredible detail, doesn't he? Specific detail about their, their their description, their their doom. He he's talked about their. He's going to get into the deception of the false teachers today. He's talked about their depravity. And so, we need to know this stuff. Peter's given us a lot of specific details. You say, well, 
why is he doing this? Well, Peter wants his readers to know the enemy. He's already told us in chapter 1, know know your salvation, know the scriptures. Now in chapter 2, he's showing us, know the enemy. And then chapter 3, he'll show us to know the future. But in these verses, he shows the terrible effect of false teaching and false teachers. It has a terrible effect. It wreaks havoc on the church. False teachings deny the essential facts of the Bible, uh, especially when it comes to Jesus Christ. We already saw they deny the Lord and Master Jesus Christ. And so it wreaks havoc. And so we must not be, well, they must not be followed. We must reject these false teachers in their teaching if we are to live godly lives. And then that's, that's what Peter keeps pointing us to. How do you live a godly life? How do you live a godly life? You gotta know your salvation. You gotta know the scriptures. You gotta know the enemy. You gotta know the future. This is what Peter keeps getting at. Know these things so you can live a godly life. A life that is pleasing to God. So look what he says here in 2 Peter 2, verse 17. Verse 17. He's talking about these false teachers and he says, these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if... After they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it, after having known it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. That ends chapter 2. And So Peter wants us to know something, as he's been doing all through the book. And in this situation here, in this text, I believe this is God doesn't want you to be deceived by false teachers. He doesn't want us to be deceived by false teachers. If we are deceived by these false teachers and follow them, then we have no hope of living a godly life. And so Peter gives us a description of these false teachers here, starting in verse 17. Number one, we see they speak empty lifeless words. They speak empty, lifeless words. And in describing these false teachers here, Peter chose two metaphors that represent water. And you need to understand, you know, you have a, uh, you have a cultural barrier here to understand water, okay? You live in New Zealand, all right? But picture yourself in the arid Middle East, where water is very rare and very precious. 
even more than New Zealand. (laughs) It was the most essential natural commodity of the arid Middle East. And so due to its relative scarcity and its vital importance, water here provides the perfect illustration for spiritual nourishment. Just as your human body cannot live without water, since it's mostly made out of water, your spiritual life needs spiritual nourishment. You need nourishment for your soul. And so let's look at the two illustrations that Peter gives here. First of all, he says, these false teachers are dry, like waterless springs. They are dry, like waterless springs. Just picture yourself in the desert, walking around in this hot, dry environment. Your tongue is parched. Your tongue is swelling up. You haven't had water in hours, and you've been walking around in 50-degree heat with virtually no humidity for hours. How thirsty would you be? You're just longing for water to satisfy this thirst. You're you're, you're starting to get dizzy. You're, You're starting to actually die. You see an oasis off in the distance with some some trees, and you you see some grass there in an oasis, and you're thinking, I wonder if there's water at that oasis. So you run for that oasis that has trees and grass, and you eventually make it there, crawling on your belly. You throw yourself down where you're you're hoping there's some water, and it's dry as a bone. It's all cra- the ground's just cracked like that. Where you needed life-sustaining water is no longer there. That's the illustration that Peter's giving here, spiritually speaking. See, false teachers do the same thing. They offer all kinds of thrills and insights and freedom and pleasure and spiritual insights. And But the reality is they are empty, they are barren, and they are dry. They promise a lot but they don't actually deliver on what they promise (laughs) because they're waterless springs. And may I say, that's in great contrast to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is not dry. In fact, He Himself said in John 4, verse 14 here, Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. My friends, don't take your eyes off Christ. And anybody who denies the Lord and Master Jesus Christ, well, they are denying eternal life. They are denying the living water. And need to be exposed for who they are. They are waterless springs. But Peter also says they are empty. Number two, they are empty like mist driven by a storm. You ever been in a situation where maybe you're going through a drought and you're just longing for some rain to come? Just imagine being thirsty. Like, like I mean, just going months and months and months without any rain. The ground is just super dry. You're in the midst of this drought. You, you've heard, you see off in the distance and the, weather, the weatherman's talked about some storm coming and, and you're just hoping for some rain to come out of the storm 
and you, you need you need the ground, the parts ground to be refreshed by some rain, but the storm just comes and blows and th- go through it goes. Swirling clouds, no rain though. <laughs> That's the idea that Peter's giving here. You're looking at this this storm that could possibly bring rain, but brings no rain. It's just swirling clouds. It promised so much, but delivered nothing except darkness. That's the imagery Peter gives of false teachers. They promise a lot, but deliver nothing except darkness. And that's the description of false teachers. I'll give you an illustration of this. Someone in our congregation told me about Heaven's Gate. You heard it on that video we saw earlier. Somebody mentioned the Heaven's Gate group. I'd never heard of them before. Interesting group. So I looked them up. This group is a classic example of waterless springs and empty mist (laughs) that are just driven by a storm. By the way, that's the picture on their webpage, on the website, on the front page, which is still running. But according to the Internet, Heaven's Gate was this uh, American UFO religious group I don't see how the two go together. But anyway, UFO religious group that was based in San Diego, California, founded back in 1974, led by a guy by the name of Marshall Applewhite. On March 26, 1997, the police discovered 39 bodies, dead bodies. It was in this uh, mansion, you'll see. Uh, they, they had bought this mansion. Anyway, so they all committed suicide. All 39 of them, including Marshall. So they, 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 it was mass suicide, 39. And you say, why'd they do that? Well, they wanted to reach what they believed was this extraterrestrial spacecraft. This, this, this alien spacecraft that was supposedly traveling behind the comet called Hale Bop. So they thought they commit suicide, then they go to to meet the makers, so to speak, the aliens that were trailing the comet Hale Bop. See that they they thought that eventually the Earth was going to be uh, refreshed. I think was the word they used, and so they they didn't want to be on this Earth anymore since it's all going to be destroyed by the aliens and and reconstituted and so forth. And so the people believed the empty words of a false teacher by the name of Marshall Applewhite. I looked up some of the empty words that they had on their website. These are direct quotes, by the way, from their website, uh, heavensgate.com. They had the 1995 statement by an E.T. presently incarnate. That was Marshall, by the way. He He had a funny... ET name. But anyway, here's what, uh, here's what they said on their website. Quote, the evil space aliens have very successfully, through their religions, totally confused the human's concept of God or deity. These religions were begun as a major distortions immediately following any visitation of the next level. By the way, next level is their, is their idea of, of going past this life to the next. All right. So their idea of heaven, if you will. The next level abhors religions 
for they bind humans more thoroughly to the human kingdom. Using strong misinformation mixed with cosmic or universal consciousness of creation, about which in truth they know nothing. Some of their Christians say that God was incarnate as Jesus, though he knew that his Father was clearly a separate entity, even when his Father's mind was in him. Luciferians, and by the way, when they say Luciferians, they mean the evil space aliens. These evil space aliens, the Luciferians, now answer the Christians, as well as all the other religions, prayers or requests as they promote enriching their human lives and having them seek a heaven on earth and a type of second coming that would clearly be abominable to the next level. Only the Luciferians, these evil space aliens, could have Christians believing that Jesus promoted family values, becoming better humans, establishing professional religious institutions, and looking for the second coming of some flowing road, peace and love manifestation of their artist conceptions. End quote. Wow, they're, they're, they're attacking a lot of uh, the um, cardinal doctrines of the faith there. But as I was perusing through their website, I came to this other interesting article that they had on their website. So I, I continue quoting from part of their website. They said, if you expect to go with us in our spacecrafts headed for our world and the only true kingdom level above human, you'll likely have to physically engage in preparedness and readiness for that departure. That readiness should not be interfered with by the servants of this world. And then coming toward the end of one of their, uh, the, the part on their website, they said this, If you have grown to hate your life in this world and would lose it for the sake of the next level, you will find true life with us, potentially forever. If you cling to this life, will you not lose it? You notice how they're taking Jesus' words and twisting them? So they take Jesus' words and Jesus says, Hey, if you save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the Gospels, you'll save it. So they kind of twist that. And then here's what they said. This was on the front page of the Heaven's Gate website, not long before they all committed suicide. They, so it's still there. I, I don't know who's doing this, but anyway, it's still on the Internet. It says this, quote, Whether Hale-Bopp has a companion or not is irrelevant from our perspective. However, its arrival is joyously very significant to us at Heaven's Gate. The joy is that our older member in the evolutionary level above human, the kingdom of heaven, has made it clear to us that Hale-Bopp's approach is the marker we've been waiting for. It is the time for the arrival of the spacecraft from the level above human to take us home to their world in the literal heavens. Our 22 years of classroom here on planet Earth is finally coming to conclusion. Graduation from the human evolutionary level we are happily prepared to leave this world and go with T's crew. T's the nickname for Marshall, by the way. And so, my friends, that's just some of the words of empty, lifeless talk from a false teacher. And that's what happens when you listen to a false teacher. See, you end up dead by listening to false teachers. You will certainly end up dead, spiritually speaking. 
most likely you'll end up dead eternally speaking. And in this situation, they also ended up dead physically. Because they all committed suicide. That's what happens when you listen to a false teacher. So Peter's concerned about that. And so as he as he describes them, he says they espouse dry, dead, lifeless words. Empty. They know how to talk. They can't deliver. And he goes on. Number two, Peter says they claim to lead people to light, but are headed to darkness. They're actually headed to darkness. Verse 17 talks about it says they're again mentioning their doom for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved again we've already talked about this but it's just referring to an eternal hell it's the place of eternal punishment where both fire and darkness coexist can't fully explain that but the scripture is clear on that there is fire as well as utter darkness in the lake of fire And this is where these false teachers will end up. And those who follow them without repenting will also end up there. So watch out, because they claim to lead people to the light. They claim to be enlightened, illuminated, and so forth. But they're actually headed to eternal darkness. Number three, Peter describes them this way. He says they claim great wisdom and knowledge. That's what they claim. They claim great wisdom and knowledge there in verse 18. Notice they're speaking loud boast. <laughs> so they're very verbose. And, and through their verbosity, and, and uh, they're often good speakers, they fool their followers into believing that they somehow possess some deep theological scholarship. They have a profound spiritual insight that you don't have and even direct revelations from God that you don't have. (laughs) And in today's church, these boasts of folly include all kinds of flowery vocabulary. Oh, they're great speakers, aren't they? Great authors. Talk about religious ritualism. Uh, They they talk about the corrupted doctrines of cults and the the academic arguments of the mainstream liberals and so forth. Now, why are they claiming great wisdom, though? Good speakers, they're verbose. Why are they claiming great wisdom? Because verse 18 says they're enticing their followers. They entice their followers. Again, we've talked about that word there in verse 18. They, they, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. They, they trap, they trick. Just like you trick a, you, you trick a fish into biting the hook with the baits. And, and Peter knew, he knew about that as a fisherman, didn't he? And so when he speaks of enticing people, he's using the language of a fisherman. Just like Peter would go out fishing on the Sea of Galilee at, at say, nighttime, casting out nets that the fish couldn't see, and so they'd swim and get caught. They were deceived. That's what the false teachers do. They entice their followers, they're caught, and then they're in trouble. So my friends, don't get caught by such means. See, someone who is wise, someone who is mature, and has a discerning attitude, is going to be able to resist those strategies. going to see them for what they are. So take note, they entice their followers. How do they do that? How do they entice their followers? Well, 
First of all, the, the, the teachers are eloquent promoters of their doctrine. They're very eloquent. They know how to impress people with their vocabulary. <laughs> Many of them are authors. Very good authors. Very charismatic in their personalities often. And literally, the, the idea is here in verse 18 that they use inflated words that actually say nothing. Yeah, they, they can give an hour-long sermon and, and, and say very little in an hour. And sadly, the average person doesn't know how to listen to, to, to that. It doesn't know how to analyze that kind of propaganda that's just pouring out of their mouths, pouring from the printing presses of these apostates. And many people can't tell the difference between a religious huckster and someone who is actually a sincere servant of Jesus Christ. Can't tell the difference. In fact, often they're the ones who are going to attack the true servant of Jesus Christ. Look what happened to the prophets of old, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, so forth. They often ended up dead for proclaiming the truth. And so these teachers are eloquent promoters of their doctrines. Number two, how are they able to entice their followers? They appeal to the corrupt appetites of the old sin nature. Notice verse 18 brings this out. Because they, they entice how? By sensual passions of the flesh. So the flesh being there, your, your old sin nature. And by the way, don't just think of this as sensual passions in terms of sexual sins. Don't, don't just think of it as sexual sins because if you read, like for example, in Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh, uh, there's far more there than just sexual immorality. Right? Paul mentions in Galatians 5, he mentions things like envy, rivalries, divisions, anger, drunkenness, to name a few. Okay, so it's not just referring to sexual sins. That's not the only thing these guys are using as their bait. So the flesh has many appetites. And it's good for us to see the many different kinds of bait that false teachers have available in their traps. Oh, for example, I'll just pick on one, pride. Pride's one of the sins of our flesh. These apostate teachers like to appeal to our human egos. Right? Remember the three, three things that the Apostle John says, 1 John 2, 15? You got the lust of your flesh, lust of your eyes, the pride of life. Right? Beware of the pride of life. Just one of the many tools, if you will, that these false teachers have appealing to our human ego. But a true servant of God will lovingly tell people that they are lost sinners. If your greatest problem is sin, don't you need to know about it? Uh, A true servant of God is going to tell people, hey, you're under the wrath of a holy God. God is holy. You are not. But apostate ministers try to avoid putting people on so-called guilt trips. Right? We, We don't want to tell people about their sin. We don't want to talk about hell. You know, these false teachers tell their listeners how good they are. You're, you're, you're good. God loves you. He has a great plan for your life. You can have your best life now. You know, that, that's the sort of stuff they talk about. And 
They talk about how easy it is to be in God's family. Well, in fact, false teachers may tell them they're already in God's family. (laughs) You just need to start living like you're in God's family. (laughs) You hear that all the time. But the apostates avoid talking about repentance because proud people don't want to hear about repentance. So they appeal to the corrupt appetites of the old sin nature. They're eloquent promoters of their doctrines. And the third way they entice followers, trap them in their net, is they appeal to immature people. They pick on immature people, the uh, the unstable, unsteady souls. That's who they pick on. So verse 18 talks about these, these people who are barely escaping. In other words, they're immature. False teachers prey on new converts or people who aren't well grounded in the faith. And this is why it's important for you as a Christian, by the way, to be grounded and to ground new believers in the faith. So when you're making disciples, make sure you teach them. Right? You, you haven't obeyed the Great Commission in Matthew 28 if you leave off the teaching part. Because what did Jesus say in Matthew 28? He said, you go, you make disciples, you teach them, you baptize them. Okay? That's your responsibility. You must teach them. They need to be grounded in the faith. Otherwise, those those wolves in sheep's clothing are going to just pick them off. So making disciples, make sure you teach them. I know it's hard work. It might take several years out of your life to do it. But that's what God wants us to do. Otherwise, you just it's like throwing a baby out the door and expecting the baby to live on its own. It can't. It's just like a newborn baby. New Christians need to be protected. They need to be fed. They need to be established before you're actually turning them loose in a very dangerous world. Peter goes on to describe the false teachers in verse 19. And the fifth thing he says is they do not possess what they profess. They don't actually possess what they profess. Verse 19 says they promise them freedom, (laughs) but they themselves are slaves of corruption. So they make promises that they're not actually able to keep. They make grandiose promises all the time. But And why are they doing this? Because they're actually slaves of the corruption themselves. And so their empty guarantees would include things like, hey, you can be liberated from your bondage, whatever that is. Uh, I'm going to give you purpose, prosperity. You can have peace through through me and, and, and happiness. Yet they don't even possess those blessings themselves. In fact, they're actually slaves to their own lust, Peter says. They're so dominated by their sinful nature that their teaching is void of God's power. Notice, although they're offering freedom, spiritual freedom, how can they offer something they don't have themselves? They can't, because they're slaves to sin, it says. And why? Well, ultimately, number one, because they rejected Jesus Christ. How can you have the power when you reject the one with the power? (laughs) They've rejected Jesus Christ, the only one who can actually truly liberate one's soul, so they're left without the power source. Therefore, they're in bondage. So the false teachers were hourly religious people. 
just like Pharisees in Jesus' day, Peter's day, profess faith in Jesus Christ here, probably convince people that, hey, I know more than you do. Listen to me. Read my books. Buy my books. Come to my conferences. Convince the people they knew far more than they actually did. Otherwise, how would they possibly be able to infiltrate into the church so effectively? They've done it because they've deceived people. So that's just some of the description that Peter gives here of the false teachers. Now I want you to notice just how perverse these false teachers are. So let's look at the perversion of the false teachers here at the end of 2 Peter chapter 2. Number one, notice that they are outwardly religious. They're outwardly religious. Verse 20 says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, they pursue religion. False teachers escape the defilements of the world. And by the way, the defilements there in the ESV just means a vaporous exhalation formally believed to cause disease. Another definition is it's an influence that tends to deplete or corrupt one. Now here's the point, my friends. Here's the point. The corrupted system of the world produces a poisonous vapor, if you will. It's an infectious evil, a moral pollution in every form. And the, the false teachers want to escape that. They, they don't want to be a part of the whole world system. Unsaved humanity is contaminated by the world's immorality, and false teachers want to escape that. How do they do that, though? How do they do that? Well, Peter says they do that through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, they run to the church. <laughs> they run to the church to escape the defilements of the world, to, to keep you know away from this corrupted system, finding shelter in the church. Now, here's the big question. Hopefully you know the answer by now. Peter's made it clear, I think. Are the false teachers saved or unsaved? Can they be saved? Well, I think verse 20 helps to answer that question again for us. Notice they are inwardly lost. Verse 20. They're inwardly lost. Even though they've tried to escape the defilements of the world, notice verse 20 goes on to say, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Oh yeah, they, they have they have a lot of knowledge. They might talk like you, but remember, they use a different dictionary. You say they have a lot of knowledge, but what kind of knowledge do they actually have? Well, this knowledge could be an awareness of Christ, but it's not a saving knowledge of Christ. In fact, it's, it's, it is possible for somebody to be religious and lost at the same time. In fact, if you don't believe me, I hope you believe Jesus, because Jesus talked about religious people in Matthew 7. Here's what he said, Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then 
will I, that's Jesus, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is clearly saying that religious people can be lost. You know, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car, <laughs> right? Or just because you're in a shed doesn't make you a tractor. <laughs> or in your, just because you're in a paddock doesn't make you a horse, right? Do you get the point? <laughs> right? That's what some people think. Hey, I go to church. So I must be a Christian. Doesn't work that way. So what did these false teachers actually accomplish? Well, their, their efforts ultimately result in nothing more than just something that's temporary and just a superficial moral reform. They're trying to do it through religion, but they're actually lacking in genuine faith. Now, can we really say that false teachers are unsaved? Can you be dogmatic about that? Well, again, look at verse 20, because it says, I believe they are unsaved because the Scripture says they are again entangled and overcome. In other words, they have no power from God to overcome their sin because there is no spirit within them. It's just flesh. They're not walking by the Spirit, therefore they're not able to persevere in the faith. And in fact, they actually sink back into the, the, the pollution of the world, completely reject the gospel of salvation. And what effect does that have on them? Well, Peter says, sadly, notice what he says there in verse 20, sadly, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Why is that? How can it be worse for somebody to run to the church pretend to be a Christian and fall away, be a false teacher, how can, how can that be worse? Well, they've understood some things about the truth. They've heard the gospel. They may have even witnessed to people. These people may have even preached the truth, but they've turned away from the truth. And because of that, God says they will face a greater judgment than those who never even heard the truth. So in light of this, Peter says it would be better for them to have not known the way of righteousness. In other words, it would have been better for them to have never run to the church, to have never heard the truth. By the way, let's be clear. What have they actually turned away from? Peter says they turned away from the way. The way of what? It's the, the way of the Christian faith. In fact, Christians in first century were sometimes called the way. They've actually turned away from Christ, the Christian faith. False teachers knew the Scriptures, but rejected the Scripture. They knew Christ, or, or of Christ, but rejected Christ. And ultimately, that's what dooms them. They reject Christ, they reject the only true way of salvation, and as a result, they're left without any hope of eternal life. When you reject Christ, that's it. You're doomed. So Peter says they're inwardly lost in verse 20. And he gives some illustrations from the book of Proverbs in verse 22 to show they're clearly unsaved. Because notice what Peter does here. He says they return to their old lifestyles. Verse 22 is teaching that they, they return to their old lifestyles. It shows who they really are, in other words. And so Peter's describing the false teachers here by using imagery from the animal kingdom. And he uses two animals here in verse 22. He mentions 
dogs and pigs. Now you need to understand, for those of you who, uh, particularly the city sickers amongst you, need to understand something about dogs and pigs. Need to understand something about first century. See, dogs and pigs are a little different in first century than they are in our century. So to fully appreciate this, let me give you a helpful quote from a commentator to understand biblical times. Here's what he says, quote, In biblical times, dogs and pigs were both despicable animals. Dogs were rarely kept as household pets because they were usually half-wild mongrels, often dirty, diseased, and dangerous. They lived on garbage and refuse and were even willing to eat their own vomit, end quote. And that's what Peter says about them, right? In verse 22, he says, the dog returns to its own vomit. So that's the dog. So don't think of it as a household pet. We're talking about a half-wild half mongrel that could be dangerous. The Jews did not like dogs. In fact, they called Gentiles dogs. And they didn't like pigs because pigs represented filth. I think the reason for this way of thinking ultimately came from the Old Testament law. If you remember what God said about pigs in the Mosaic law, they, the pig was actually declared ceremonially unclean. And you'll see a picture of a beautiful pig here. Now, keep that imagery in mind. Beautiful little baby pig, isn't it? Nice roses, bow around its neck. It's all been cleaned up. And those of you who maybe have washed pigs and maybe taking them to uh, some farmer show or something where you get to show off your pig and maybe win a prize, you'll understand how this works. See, you can wash the pig on the outside, but you can't wash the pig on the inside, can you? It's still a pig on the inside. <laughs> that's, that's the idea Peter's trying to make here. You, you can clean a pig, you can try to make the pig look good and even smell good, but it still likes mud, as you can see in the next photo. Right? That's what the pig really desires. It doesn't want to be put on show with a bow around its neck and lots of smelly flowers and walked around a ring and have everybody clap at them and say, oh, what a beautiful pig. You win first prize. The pig doesn't care about that. doesn't care. It still likes the mud. And so Peter's comparison here to the false teacher is hopefully unmistakable. See, false teachers are really the epitome of spiritual uncleanness. They are the epitome of spiritual uncleanness. Now, some say... False teachers are not really that bad. I mean, they're not literally going and jumping in a mud puddle and enjoying the mud puddle. Not, not physically, usually. Spiritually, that's what they're doing. <laughs> because, you know, keep the imagery in mind. They, they, you know, some people say, hey, the false teachers aren't that bad. They have experiences. They say all kinds of nice things. They make me feel good. They're meeting my felt needs. But the question is, yeah, okay, they're having experiences. Might make them appear as a Christian, but what kind of experiences are they having? What kind of an experience did the false teachers actually have? And so to use Peter's vivid images here, understand the pig is only washed on the outside. But the pig remains a pig. The dog 
Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's the same with the dog. The dog might be, and, and it's a little different with the dog, right? The dog vomits. The dog might be feeling better on the inside, right? Because he's vomited. He's, 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 he's ejected the, the foul thing within him that's, that's affecting him, right? But the dog still remains a dog as well. The pig might look better. The dog might feel better. But neither one of the, neither the dog nor the pig has actually changed, have they? They haven't changed. They each have the same nature. They haven't received a new nature. And so that explains what Peter, I hope, is trying to get across here. It explains why both animals return back to the old life. The pig goes back to the mire. The dog eats its vomit. Why? They haven't changed on the inside. They're still a dog and they're still a pig. <laughs> right? It's, it's actually a part of their nature. They do what is their nature. It's just, and it's the same with the false teachers Peter is saying here. Is he, he's actually quoting from Proverbs. Well, the first part, he is quoting from Proverbs. So, that's what false teachers do. They reveal who they really are. They haven't changed inwardly because the old nature hasn't changed. So they return to the old life because that's their very nature. The heart reveals who they really are because the heart hasn't changed. And so they do what the heart desires. And so that reveals who they are. It reveals them as a false teacher. And that's why Jesus said, look for the fruit. Look for the fruit. And it has to be a long look. See, a preacher can preach truth for one year, two years, a decade, maybe even a couple decades. But eventually the false teacher is going to reveal what they really are. So how can we apply this text? Number one, Peter is telling us don't listen to false teachers. Okay. Number one, don't listen to the false teachers. Know who they are and don't listen to them. Don't listen to their podcast. Don't get on the internet and listen to these guys. Don't, don't waste your time buying their books. Don't waste your time going off to their conferences and paying, you know, whatever for that, for them to tell you you can have your best life now. Just don't listen to them. And if you're not sure who, whether or not they're a false teacher, please Talk to other mature Christians who know. You guys scare me sometimes. I hear you talk about stuff all the time, and it scares me. And where did you get that from? It freaks me out because I don't. I don't know if you're listening to false teachers. I don't know who you're listening to and who you're reading. I hope. Um, hope you be be discerning. That's the second point I wanted to make. Just be discerning in your assessment of biblical teaching. Don't take that for granted. It's a Holy Spirit's work in your life. He's the one going to give you the discernment to tell between the good and the evil. And then the Scripture tells us to expose them, just like Peter's doing here, just like Jesus did, like Apostle Paul and others, exposing them for who they are. Don't leave them hidden in the dark like a cockroach. Shine the light on them so, so, so that not only you know who they are, but all the other sheep around you. It's like, it's like the wolf in sheep's clothing kind of sneaking up from the bush to attack the sheep. Put the spotlight on them so all the other sheep can see the wolf. Hey, there's the wolf right over there. All right, keep your eyes on that guy. <laughs> Expose them. 
Scripture tells us to do that. And then whenever you put something off, you always have to replace it in like kind. And so listen to true teachers, obviously. Uh, don't, don't just live in a vacuum. Listen to the true teachers. Find out who they are and listen to them. And last of all, just simple application. Make the study of God's Word a priority in your schedule. By a priority in your schedule, I mean just find out when, when is it you're most mentally alert, right? Whenever that is. Uh, use that time of a day to, to, to study God's Word. Right? If you're, if you're a morning person, use the morning to study God's Word. If you're not a morning person, don't sit there falling asleep, right? I mean, there's been times in my life, it's kind of silly, but I've done this, right? Uh, I was really busy during the day, so I get up early before everyone else, try to read the Bible and fall asleep. Silly. That's what I did. Didn't work. Got nothing out of it. It was a waste of time. So make the study of God's Word a priority in your schedule so you're, you're giving God the best part. And then don't just be a hearer of the Word. Be a doer. So someone who is a true Christian is applying the truths of the Scriptures in their own life. you got to be applying it so you have this, this protection so that you, you go on to have a life that's pleasing to God. That's, that's the whole point that Peter is giving us here because he wants you to know your salvation. He wants you to know the Scriptures. He wants you to know your enemy. He wants you to know the future. Why? So you'd live a godly life that's pleasing to the Lord. Your life's to bring glory and honor to Him. That's the whole point of your life. That's why you're here. When you die, that's why you'll be there, to bring honor and glory to God. So may God protect us from false teachers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to the enemy. May we see him for who he really is. May we understand the truth so that when we hear or see error, it's obvious. May we know what a wolf in sheep's clothing looks like and sounds like. May we understand their empty, lifeless words. May we understand their deceptions, how they're trying to deceive us. May we not fall prey to their, to their deception. May we also not forget their doom where they're ultimately going to end up unless they repent. So may we understand that and may, may it be comforting in a way. May we leave them to your timing and, and in your hands. May we not grow weary in well-doing ourselves. May we not get too frustrated with, with all the mess and defilements of this world that we see around us, recognize, may, may we not forget that you are sovereign and that you do reign supreme over all of your creation, and that you are accomplishing your purposes. Protect us from false teachers, we pray. May we not think that we are better and mightier and, and stronger and wiser than other people who fall into them. May we be humble in our discernment. May we be humble in our knowledge. May we not think that we can never fall. May we take heed lest we fall. So give us your grace and your divine enabling 
to please you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.